Good morning. I want to greet you in Jesus' name this morning. And delighted to have you here, especially the home folks and also the visitors. Just want to say welcome. This morning is, for our visitors' sake, this is a different kind of service. We have what we call preparatory service or council meeting. Uh, prior to communion, which will be in two weeks, Lord willing. But we give counsel. Membership, people who are members here uh, will give their counsel uh, whether or not they are in the faith and whether or not they are um, at one with the brotherhood and so on. So instead of Sunday school class, we will have uh, that time of counsel. So you're welcome to stay and be um, but it will be membership that will give their, their um, counsel this morning. I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 um, for a passage this morning. And while you're doing that, I would like to just bow for prayer and ask God to be with us uh, through this time in his word. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as human beings, as men, as women who need you. We recognize that we are nothing without you and that we exist because you grant us to exist. Father, we acknowledge that we want a relationship with you. And I trust, Father, that we have pursued that relationship with you this week. God, would you come? Would your Holy Spirit come and provide for us again today? what each one of our hearts needs, what's, what each one of our souls needs. From your word, whatever the needs are in our lives, would you provide for those needs? For those that can't be here, Father, who may be listening, and others who may be watching live stream, I pray, God, a blessing on them, and I pray that your spirit would also convey to them truth and bring about a... Um, an awareness of you today. We commit ourselves to you for the next several minutes as we look into your word. Would your spirit be faithful in teaching us this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is number four. In 1 Corinthians 13, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13. I have been preaching a series on the love chapter, which is what it's called. This is part four and the final part. So Lord willing, we'll be done with 1 Corinthians chapter 13 after today. We've been learning some things 
as we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13. And one thing we've learned is that Paul wrote this letter to a very young church. They were approximately five years old. He had established that church, and they were already getting distracted with some things that were, were important, but were not all important. And, and, and one of those things was spiritual uh, gifts, and particularly tongues is one thing that they gravitated towards. And there were some in the church that obviously had the gift, and there was as we read through 1 Corinthians, there was dissension and there was issues going on there. And so Paul was writing this letter to correct some of that and to point them in the right direction. I would encourage you, if you have time, to read chapter 12 or maybe chapter 11 and 12 at some time, maybe this afternoon when you get home and after you've eaten your lunch, Sit down and read those chapters. I found it very helpful, again, to read chapter 12 and then go into chapter 13. It sort of helps us understand what was going on there. And in chapter 12, he, Paul just addresses that we are a body, that each member is important, that each part of the body is necessary, even those parts that are not calmly, as it is, says in the King James Version, or those parts that, that we don't talk about. Everything is necessary for the body to function, and he equates that with the church. And we equate that, we naturally make that applicable to us here at Sandy Ridge, or whatever congregation or church you're part of, you make that application and he says, while well, all of those parts, all those things are necessary, and the giftings that each one have, has are necessary, while well, all of those things are necessary, he ends the chapter, chapter 12, saying, but covet earnestly the best gift, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And that's been the title of my series, A More Excellent Way. And then he goes right in to chapter 13, which we know as the love chapter, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, it profiteth me nothing, and so on. So we've been learning some of those things. Several things that we've discovered along the way is that this love that Paul refers to or that Paul is teaching us about is an eternal love. It's not a love that is earthly. And, and, and several things that are attached to that is that the reason it is, it is eternal is because God is eternal and God is love. All that is love comes from God. So we understand that, but sometimes we forget. So love comes from God because God is love. That makes it an eternal God because God is eternal. And it is a powerful love. That's another thing we discovered. <clears throat> another thing we discovered is that this love is not understood. This, this specific love is not understood by by. Uh, the natural man or the unconverted person does not understand this kind of love. The reason they don't understand this kind of love is because they are unconverted. These kind of things are understood by the revelation of the Spirit within us. Okay? 
And when we don't have, when we, when we don't, when we aren't born again, we don't have the life of Christ in us and the power of the Holy Spirit in us, helping us to discern and understand his word, it doesn't make any sense to us. So if you're unconverted and you hear us talking about agape love or love that is sacrificial that would actually die for each other, it doesn't make sense because that's not what the carnal man, that's not what our flesh does. The unconverted person doesn't understand that. So this is understood spiritually, but it is lived out practically and powerfully. This love, another thing we discovered is, gives us our identity. As Christians, when we have the love of Christ in us, it identifies us as God's children. Do you understand that? And we quoted the scripture. It's a well-known scripture where it says, by this shall all men know that you are what? Because why? You have love one for another. It gives us our identity. Some of us struggle with our identity this morning in more ways than one. But some of us struggle with our identity in Christ, too. And sometimes I struggle with my identity in Christ when my love is shallow. Does that make sense? When my love is not strong, when my love isn't whole, that's a reflection on my relationship with my Heavenly Father. So so those are some things to think about. One more thing that we discovered in this study is that this love is only made real and effective in our lives to the extent that we are obedient to Christ. Okay? In other words, if I, if I tell you that I love you, but I don't, but I'm not obedient in the rest of my life to Christ, then I'm merely saying words. When I am submitted and committed to following Christ in obedience in all areas, striving to be obedient, the Holy Spirit makes this love effectual and effective in my life. It becomes something to contend with. And what I mean by that is you recognize it. You will see it, and I will see it in you, and I have to contend with it. If I'm not loving towards you, but you are loving towards me, I will have to contend with your Christ-like love. I will have to, I'll have to decide, is Brother Mark genuine? And I'll have to say he is because I see it here and here and here. He is obedient here, and he is obedient there. Do you understand what I'm saying? It makes it effectual makes us effective with each other and with those that we're witnessing to. Several things that will help us, um, will be helpful to us as we uh, consider this last section. One of these I have already talked about uh, every time that I preached on this series, and I'll just bring it to us again. So this thing, this first thing that I want to say is helpful, that will be helpful for us to remember as we go through this message today 
is that we've been challenged to put our name in the place of love, the word love. So when we read the chapter, it says love is patient, love is kind. We put our own name in there and say Lyle is patient, Lyle is kind, or whatever your name is. The second thing we do is, we can do is, we can put our church name in there. Sandy Ridge is loving, Sandy Ridge is kind, and so on and so forth. So that's helpful for us to bring it down to our personal lives, to apply this personally to us and how we're living today. Second thing that I'd like for us to consider is that we live in a world that understands very little of genuine love. Love that the world understands is self-centered and self-seeking. Everything from a sexual kind of love to even a brotherly love is often, is often motivated by self, selfish motives. The world and an unregenerated heart moves into selfishness, or it moves in selfishness. So something I want us to think about. You and I, as God's children, have been called out of that and into something much greater and better than that. And we have something to offer to those that we came out of or out from the world. And we have something better to offer each other. God has redeemed a people for his own. That's you and me. That's you and me. And this agape love is unique to you and me because it is him. It is in him. He calls us to love as he loves. <clears throat> and he has called us out of that kingdom and into his kingdom, which is a kingdom of light. Okay, that was sort of the opening. And I'd like to just move into the verse that um, we'll be looking at this morning to finish up this series. Last time we ended with verse 6, and I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I will read verse 6. It says, love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You remember that? We talked about that. That was the last thing we talked about. We, we asked some questions about what we love. Do you enjoy iniquity? Do you, do you enjoy things that portray iniquity? Or is your heart bent towards truth and righteousness? And we talked about those things the last time. Well, this morning, we're going to go to verse 7. And there's four things that we're going to look at in this passage, or in these verses. And they're positive things. They're, they're, they're not negative. And I found it interesting that Paul ends it this way. But he, he, puts, he puts forward four positive things, four things that love does positively. So let's look at those things. Verse 7 says, Love beareth all things, love believeth all things, and it hopeth all things, and it endureth all things. And we're going to stop there. We'll just go through those four this morning, and then maybe if we have time, we'll finish off just that last section from verse 8 to verse 13 and have a couple things to point out there. 
The first one in verse 7, love beareth all things. Or we could say love bears up and it protects. Okay, there's sort of two, two meanings to this word, beareth all things. Um, one has to do with bearing up under pressure, bearing up under uh, the difficulties of life. Love is such a thing, Christ's Christian love is such a thing that it enables us to face the difficulties of life. That's one thing, and we'll go through some of those things. The second thing is that the second meaning, and we get this in the, from the Greek rendering of, of this passage, also mean, has, has a meaning of covering or protecting, similar to a roof that connects or that, that covers us and protects us from the elements or from, from storms and that kind of thing. So think about those things as we go through this first thing. Love in regards to itself or you yourself is, enables you to bear up under the difficulties of life. What does that look like? There are several things I've listed here. This is what it looks like when a person is a Christian and the love of Christ is in us. We are able to face difficulties. Christian love is courageous. Christian love is a courageous kind of love. It holds up in the face of disappointments, of problems, and of rejection. You, you finish the list. Christian love is a courageous kind of love. It's not an overbearing kind of love. Remember, those are things that we talked about. It, it's not haughty. It doesn't, but it's courageous. It faces those things that are very difficult in life. Christian love does not throw in the towel very easily when opposition comes. Christian love does not throw in the towel very easily. It bears patiently with difficult circumstances, with difficult people and difficult situations. It bears patiently. Love faces disappointment and rejection with fortitude. Love has fortitude. Isn't easily persuaded otherwise. Stays focused. This kind of love sees the hardships as opportunities to grow. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the difficulties that come our way and what it does to us and how we handle them, how we look at them? When Christ's love permeates us and takes control of us, I believe that the Christian will at some point recognize that whatever I'm facing, God is teaching me something through this and will embrace that teaching and will change. On the other hand, when love is low or shallow in my heart, I tend to react to those things. So think about that. I know what, I know what that's like. I know what it feels like to react. And I think I shared this in one of my earlier messages that I had a, a good brother and a mentor 
tell me just recently, he said, Lyle, you need to grow in love. You need to grow in love. Because he understood those very things. And I told him, that's interesting because I'm actually preaching a series on love. And he said, well, that's God teaching you things, you see. Facing difficulties is a good thing if we allow the love of God to take us there. Love sees the hardships as opportunities for growth in our lives. So a question we ask ourselves, a question I ask myself and I want to ask you is, how can love do that? How can you do that? How can you bear up against some really, really difficult things? How is it that that happens? I would suggest this morning that Jesus is our example for this. And I'm not going to take time to go through all the passages, but if you, if you read the Gospels over and over, we find that Jesus went privately and did what? He prayed. He went away and he spent time with who? With the Father. And I would suggest to us this morning that the only way that you and I will successfully demonstrate this love in our lives when difficulties come is by being intimately connected with the Father on a regular basis. It's the only way. And I think we all would agree that when that lacks, we struggle. When we're not connected, we struggle. That doesn't mean that sometimes things are so difficult that it's hard for us to connect. I understand that too. And I think many of us do. When there's so, some things that are just so difficult, it is hard for us to experience the Father. But remember, love doesn't throw in the towel. Love comes back to the Father time and time and time again until the Father is experienced and His love is experienced. And we are encouraged So that's how we do this. That's how we face the difficulties in life. We go to our Heavenly Father, just as Jesus did on a regular basis. When we do that, we find our security and our identity in Him. And we don't care so much anymore about what others may think or what the circumstances may hold or what, what may be happening because we are being fulfilled in our relationship with God the Father. The second meaning for this um, beareth all things is the meaning of protection. Is Sandy Ridge a protecting church? Does Sandy Ridge protect those who are hurting? Do we protect each other? Do we go in defense mode. Now, I understand what I'm saying there. I'm not saying we're combative. But do we go in defense mode for a brother or sister who is struggling? And do we have the wherewithal to walk with them uprightly and with all gravity to guide them to a good place? Is that the kind of church we are? Some of you will remember this, and I, I 
considered doing this this morning, but we don't have time. But some of you will remember this. I think maybe it was Merle Burkholder that first um, did this, but uh, at one point he brought up, to demonstrate this thing of protecting, he brought up a young man and he demonstrated how Satan attacks us and he pushed the young man around and Satan was attacking the young man and then he brought up five other men and he said, okay, this is what church looks like. Church gathers around this man and they pray for him. And he had those men go around this man and they put their hands on him. They were praying for this man. And then he said, but that's just one part of the picture. What a real church does is then they link arms and they face the enemy around him. Do you understand the picture? We're linking arms. Our brothers here, we're facing the enemy for him. Is that the kind of church Sandy Ridge is? Is that the kind of person you are? Because see, love protects. Love protects. Love calls us to protection. Love risks being made fun of. When I speak truth to my brother or my neighbor, love risks friendships. When I'm willing to lovingly confront my brother who I have observed sinning. See, love protects in that way too. Love does not cover up sin. Love does not cover up sin, but it lovingly exhorts and reproves the erring one so that his soul may be saved. On the other hand, love protects the dignity of the repentant sinner. Love protects the dignity of the brother and sister who has repented. It does not delight in making an example of the sin. Love covers and doesn't hold grudges. We bear the burdens of others. And again, Jesus is our example. I wonder this morning how we're doing with bearing all things. Is my relationship a reflection with God a reflection on how I'm bearing up underneath the pressures of life? The difficulties that happen, the hard things that that hit us broadside. How are we doing with those things? We have a loving father that says, come. But will we trust him? Is it hard to trust? The only way we can do that well is being, uh, being, being in tune with him, staying in relationship with him over and over. We don't throw in the towel. We go back. We, 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 we pursue him. We follow him. We seek him. And we will find him, Scripture says. Are you willing to risk your reputation, your friendships to protect a family member that's falling away? Speaking truth in love. I read a, an example of a young man who 
wrote a letter to a friend of his. And he said, I have to write this letter because I love you too much. I cannot let you leave your wife and enter into an adulterous relationship with that other woman without warning you of the sin that you're about to enter in. He said, I'm willing to risk my friendship with you to tell you the truth about what you're doing. Are you willing to do that this morning? Are you willing to do that with each other this morning? To be honest with each other? The flip side to that is that we can reject that. We can, we can look at that and say, well, you're just judging me or whatever we want to say. But the reality is that when we do that, we are rejecting the love of Christ. When someone comes to us with a genuine heart and we reject that, then we're rejecting the love of Christ. So those are some things that we need to think about. It's some really, really hard things for me personally to think about as I studied this and thought about these kind of things. Number two, love believes all things. Or we could say love is eager to trust or to believe the best about each other. Love always trusts. And for some of us, we don't trust very easily. I'm guilty. I tend to be a skeptical person, okay? I, I tend to analyze and think about things and wonder about. And, and I think probably some of us, some of you do the same thing. We don't trust real easily. But Paul says that's not how Christ's love in us should work. We should be eager to trust and to think the best of about each other. And so what does that look like as we live it out in our daily lives? Love has an open and favorable disposition to others. Do you have an open and a favorable disposition to other people? Would your family say that you have an open and favorable disposition? Would your Employees say that. If you're an employer, your fellow employees, would your church family say that? Do you have an open and favorable position towards others? It sees others with a good heart and good intentions. I look at Brother Leon and I, I say, I have good feelings toward, like I have, my heart is open towards him or Sister so-and-so, and I, 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 it's there. Like, and we believe the best about each other. Love believe, or gives the benefit of the doubt. It believes the best. It gives the benefit of the doubt. Love is not cynical hmm, or suspicious about others' motives. Cynical. That's something that is so subtle. A cynical attitude and spirit can rise so quickly in my heart. And I get cynical. I can get cynical. I've told my wife, I hope I don't become an old cynical man. I don't want to be a cynical man when I'm old, so I have to start now to have an open attitude towards others. I cannot be cynical. If you see me being cynical, you've got to sit me down and say, Lot, you're being cynical. 
That's a sin that is detrimental to the brotherhood. It's a a sin that's detrimental to a family. When dad is cynical or mom is cynical or when young people are cynical, it does not help us grow in love. But love, Paul says, love is not cynical. Love believes that people can change. Okay, so there's problems or there's something that I need to grow in. Or something you need to grow in. But I believe that you can do it. That, that Christ in you will help you change. We believe the best. And love give, gives preference to others. These are practical ways that genuine love is expressed in our lives as Christians. Now just because we are that way doesn't mean that we are blind or we're gullible, or that we just believe everything about everybody. Scripture teaches us clearly that we do not believe lies or the untruth. We are to be discerning, and the Spirit of God helps us there. But we don't do it with cynicism or become cynical and, and suspicious of everybody. Okay? One thing that I thought about as I was thinking about this is that when I, when I find myself being cynical or in that frame of mind, it is easy for me to, to believe that everybody else thinks the same way. That everybody else is processing things in a cynical way. When I am... When I am not, when, when, when the Holy Spirit actually is working and changing me, and I don't have that feeling in me, then I see it, everybody else, not being that way either. Do you understand what I'm saying there? Our attitude, our heart attitude, makes us think that our twisted way of thinking is the way everybody else is thinking. And it's not true. It's not true. Just because I'm cynical doesn't mean that you guys are cynical or vice versa. Not everybody is cynical, but we tend to think that way. It's just some things things that I was thinking um, early this morning as I was studying. Job is the the, uh, example of Job where where his friends came to him. They sat with him, and, and, and Job was in such bad shape that they didn't hardly recognize him at a distance. They had to get up close to him before they recognized, oh, this is actually our friend Job. And then they sat there with him for seven days and didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. Do you know what the first word was that they said? You can go to Job chapter 4 and you can read it. They were cynical. They were accusatory. They said, Job, tell me. Is it not true that whenever someone suffers like this, that there's some sin in your life? I'm paraphrasing. They were cynical. Do you see what I'm saying? And they went on and on and on. And Job said, no, I'm not. I'm righteous before the Lord. I have no sin. I have not. To to my knowledge, I have not. They kept on going, kept on going. At the end of the whole thing, God rebuked them severely. You see what happens? They were convinced 
They saw it through their lenses of cynicism, and they believed that Job was guilty, and he was not. Does Sandy Ridge believe all things? Are we a kind church? Do we protect each other? Or are we cynical and suspicious? Number three, love hopes all things. Love always hopes. Love always hopes. Hope is one of the greatest distinguishing marks of a Christian. Did you ever think about that? It's like a birthmark on your face. Do you have a hopeful face? Are you living in hope this morning? Is it real and alive? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, it tells us that without Christ, there is no hope. And if you're in Christ this morning, you have hope. You live in the hope of things to come. You live in the hope of a, of a, of a tomorrow that is guided by, by God. You put your trust and faith in him. That gives us hope and confidence. Are you a person of hope? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that our hope is a living thing. It is alive within us. And the reason it's alive is because of Christ, who died for us, redeemed us to himself, made us alive in him because he also rose from the dead. What does that look like in our lives? This is what it looks like. A hopeful love looks ahead with anticipation. It anticipates good things. It looks to tomorrow and says, it's going to be a good day tomorrow. It's going to be a good afternoon today. It's going to be good then. We have anticipation and on and on and on. Further and further out that we go, it's going to be good. We have hopeful anticipation. It sees future things through the goodness of God. Love does not see failure as a final thing. Love sees hope even in failure. How many of you have experienced failure in your Christian life? And you've had some brother or some sister come alongside you and say, brother, it's okay. We'll walk with you together. Or they give you encouragement or something like that. Hope does that. Hope Love that hopes does that. When was the last time you did that to a brother or a sister? You walked up to them and said, hey, I want to walk with you. I want to encourage you. I know you messed up. I know you feel like you messed up. I know whatever it is. I don't, I'm not even thinking anything. I'm just saying. And you actually gave yourself to giving hope to them. Love <clears throat> does not see failure as being final or as final. Love gives hope to those who are discouraged and down. And lo uh, love does not despair with difficult people or difficult situations. It hopes for the best. Love has faith and hope in the ultimate triumph of God's goodness. Love demonstrates itself in hope. And it is apparent in our demeanor, on our faces, in our lives.
hope attached to love is demonstrated. I had to think of the passages in John chapter 21 where where Jesus came to the disciples after he rose again and he, he was appearing to the disciples for a number of days there. He came and he, he appeared to several of the disciples. And then at one point, Peter said, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. And his friends, the other disciples said, you know what? We're going to go with you. We're going to go fishing. It's all been catastrophic. Jesus was crucified and evidently he rose again because we've, we've seen him. We're seeing him. I don't know, but I'm going to go fishing, Peter says. And they went fishing. And as they were fishing and they were, they were done and they were coming back to shore, they saw this man on the, on, on the shore and he called out to them and said, have you caught anything? And they said, no, we didn't really catch anything. And, and, and he said, well, why don't you put your net over on that side? And uh, so they did. And immediately they were like, okay, this is, this is familiar. This has happened before. And sure enough, they started catching fish. And one of the disciples turned to Peter and said, it's the Lord. And Peter, in his in his usual manner, jumps into the water and swims to shore. And when he gets there, and the other, the other disciples get there with the net full of fish, Jesus has already started a fire and is, is broiling some fish over the fire. And he invites them. He said, come, dine, sit with me, and eat. And so they all sit there, and it says that they, they didn't really dare ask, are you the Lord? Because they think they know, but, you know, well, is this and... They, they were just sort of dumbfounded there. But here's what I, want you to, what, what I want you to catch. It's that very moment when Jesus looks across that fire and he asks Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And it says that the third time when he asked him, he was offended that Jesus would actually ask him if he loved him. And I think what was going through Peter's mind was that Jesus had said days before Peter, when Peter declared that he would go to, he would die for Jesus, that Jesus looked at him and said, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny me three times. That realization of failure in Peter's life was probably pretty painful. And when Jesus looks at him and says, and questions his love for him, Peter, do you love me? Three times. I denied him three times. He's asking me three times. He's asking for a commitment. And he says, I do love you. Each time Jesus said, feed my sheep. He didn't say, well, Peter, I just don't trust you. I just don't think I can trust you. You blew it back here. You, you denied that you, you, you deserted me. You, you actually rejected me. You said three times, I have no idea who this man is. He didn't say that. But he looked at him. He said, feed my sheep. He spoke hope into Peter's life. And he said, indeed, you do love me. And you will love me to the death, I'm paraphrasing, because there is a time coming when you will die for me. But he didn't reject Peter. He acknowledged it, and he said, now go do 
what I'm asking you to do. Do it, Peter. Love hopes all things. The parable of the prodigal son. I can just see the father standing out of the end of the driveway every day looking for his son, watching and waiting because he hoped someday with a love that hopes all things that someday I will see my son again. And he did, and he did. I can just imagine his wife saying, what in the world are you doing? He's been gone for this many years. He's been gone. He's not coming back. I will do this until I see him again. Because love hopes all things. Love gives hope, and it hopes all things. Brothers and sisters, that's the way the Lord does for us. He calls us. He speaks hope into us. He waits for us. He fights for us. Love hopes all things. It says in John chapter 13, verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them to the end. The last one, love endures all things. And it's sort of similar to the first one we looked at this morning. With a little bit different twist, I would say that this has more of the idea that love lasts the tests of time. It perseveres and is steadfast. It stands the tests of time. It doesn't waver. It just stays steady. What does this look like? This kind of love has an, uh, an heart attitude that endures hardship. When it fails, when, when it experiences failure, it keeps going. It endures hardship. It is a steady, constant thing. It endures all things. It lasts. It holds out and it perseveres. Love doesn't quit loving because it gets tough. Love keeps loving when loving is tough. Love has fortitude and it has vision. Love is determined to love. It brings my will into subjection of Christ. And I love willingly. I will myself to love. Love is committed. In our homes and in our marriages... This is the kind of love that ought to be happening. Are we committed to love our spouse for better or for worse in sickness and in health? Are you committed that way? I read a story. It's a true story. Where a man was contemplating leaving his wife because he didn't love her anymore. It, it, the, 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 the relationship had turned such a way that he just said, I, I don't love, and he was actually contemplating starting a relationship with another lady. And he knew that that was wrong, but he, he was, it was just so hard. Like he just, he didn't, 
There was no more love. And he went to a number of counselors, Christian counselors, and they tried to work with him, and they went back into his past and tried to figure out, well, what's causing him to, to feel these things and so on and so forth. Finally, he tried one more counselor, and he, this counselor was just simple, ordinary, and he said, well, can you help me understand or remember what you said on your wedding day when you said your vows to your wife? Can you say your wedding vows to me? And the guy said, sure, I can do that. And he says his wedding vows to him, and he comes to the part where he says that I will love you for better or for worse, and in sickness and in health, and so on and so forth. And when he stopped, the guy said, okay, so what did you just say back there? He said, well, I, I told my wife I would love her for better or for worse. And he said, well, what is it now? He said, well, it's for worse. He said, okay, go love. Go love. Go love your wife. You see what I mean? It's a choice, a commitment to love. It endures. It endures all things. It is tenacious. It does not give up. Are you that kind of person? Am I that kind of person? I, I will say, brothers and sisters, that this has been a good study for me. It has really been a challenge to think about some of these things personally. But it's been good. Is Sandy Ridge that kind of church? As we look in the mirror of God's word these four times, what has God shown us about his character? What has he shown us about our character? What's the reflection that's reflecting back to us? And I had to ask myself, well, what will I do with this that I've learned? What, what will I do with these things that I've, that I've learned? And I have a choice. I can choose to look at the mirror and say, you know what? Yeah, it is what it is and walk away. Or I can choose to look at the mirror of God's word and say, yeah, there's definitely some areas I need to improve in. And, and by God's grace, I will do that. We have a choice. Either way, we're responsible. It doesn't matter what choice we make here. Individually or as a church, it doesn't matter. But what does matter is that we are responsible for that choice, whatever choice we make. And so those are the challenges that we need to think about. As we think about this, it's a, it's a really, really challenging and thought-provoking passage that we've gone through. I'd like to just wrap this up real quick. The last, the last section here, verses 8 through 13, it's just several things that I want to point out. Paul talks about this love being forever, and it's not something that goes away ever. Love is forever. But he says that he, he takes us back to the spiritual gifts thing. And he says, all of these things will go away. Verse 8, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We remember all those things in the beginning of the chapter. For we, we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, 
hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Paul calls us to the better way. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is what we're, what we're often focused on here in this life are the temporal things. They're good things. They're necessary things. They're useful things in the body of Christ. Our spiritual gifts, all of those things are needful and necessary, but they are for the here and now. Do you understand that? You won't need your spiritual gifts in eternity. He says, so don't focus so much on all of that. Use them to benefit the body. But remember, that's not the more excellent way. That's not the best thing. We are immature and incomplete here and now. We don't experience maturity and completeness until we are in heaven with our Savior. Then we will see clearly, not in a glass darkly. Do you understand what, what Paul is saying here? Let's not get sidetracked with unimportant things or things that, that, we, that, that make us think that we have, we've arrived maybe or that we are something special here. But he says in verse 13, Now about it, faith, hope, charity, these three, they abide. Those things abide. But the greatest of these is char- charity or love. Faith is an important part of our Christian life. It's how we become saved. We are saved by faith. Okay? Faith is how we live this life in Christ. We live by faith. So it is an important part. Hope gives us courage and strength and gives us vision for the future. It is an important part of our Christian life. But these two will also disappear in glory. You and I won't need any faith in glory. And our hope and our faith will be realized in glory. It'll all be gone. The only thing that remaineth is love. Does that make sense? Love is eternal. Love will always be and always has been because God has always been and God will always be. And so some of these things are important for us to understand while, we, while they're part of our lives here and they guide us here, they too shall, shall pass away and our faith will be made sight someday. That's why love is the more excellent way. And I trust that we will live that way from here on out. Shall we pray? Hmm. Father in heaven, 